Amanda, what a wild ride. How long has it been? Uh, since we lived together? Yes, we used to be roommates. We did. It's been uh, over 11 years, which is wild, over a decade. I love it. And I'm so proud of you to have watched you from when you started going to school to where you are now. I'm just so impressed and so proud. And as I was sharing with you earlier, I think what I've been most proud of in watching you, even though we've kind of, you know, separated and gone our own ways, we've stayed connected through social media, you have remained dedicated. You have remained consistent, my friend. And I know that the entrepreneurial journey is not easy. So again, I just want to take a moment and just reiterate how incredibly proud I am of you. I appreciate that so much. And you're right. It's it's not easy, but I, I don't think I could go back. Like I definitely wouldn't trade it for anything. I've learned so much and like it forces you to grow and like just get involved in so much personal development and becoming a better practitioner and a better person. And yeah, it's just quite the journey. I love that you use the word journey because that's what it is. None of us are getting out of this thing alive. And there is no end game. There's no arrival point. It's just a continuous journey. So why don't you go ahead and and take a moment to share your story of resilience with us? Sure. So I think um, similar to a lot of healthcare providers that end up going, um, I hate to call it alternative medicine because alternative to what? Like bad medicine. In my opinion, there's a lot of problems with the current healthcare system. But really what spawned all of this for me was um, the fact that mainstream medicine had failed to solve a lot of my own health issues. So I became very passionate about doing my own research and aligning with practitioners who are really seeking the root cause versus band-aiding with medications. And really that's what led me to um, becoming passionate enough to pursue a career in this field. But really like where my story started was coming out of undergrad and assuming that my chronic fatigue and chronically low immune system and hormonal imbalances and chronic infections were just a normal byproduct of being a super busy college student who was taking extra credits and also working while I went to undergrad. But then a year plus out of undergrad, I wasn't better. Like I was still sleeping 10 to 12 hours a night, waking up feeling hungover, even though I hadn't had a drop of alcohol, chronic digestive symptoms going basically between having UTIs and yeast infections, because I would get a urinary tract infection, I would be prescribed antibiotics, it would turn into a yeast infection, I would be prescribed antifungal medications, and then the entire cycle would repeat again. And so after going to doctor after doctor after doctor, and there was a refusal to run a lot of tests, I was told I was fine, that my tests were normal. Um, I got really tired of just band-aiding the symptoms with medications and just cycling between all of these different symptoms month to month or day to day. And so I actually ended up pulling out of my application for graduate program in occupational therapy at USC in Southern California and deciding that I wanted to pursue holistic health. So pulled out of that within two months, I was back in Denver at the Nutrition Therapy Institute, which is a two-year program for um, nutrition that delves very deeply into, you know, anatomy and physiology and biochemistry. And just like, again, understanding the human body as a whole and how all of these different systems interplay. And that was finally when I started to feel like the pieces were coming together, that I understood how my digestive system affected the rest of my body And why when I ate the wrong food, I felt not only bloated and terrible in that region, but also fatigued and depressed and anxious and my joints hurt. So it was just this really fascinating process of feeling like, oh my gosh, I've had all of these like 
bits and pieces kind of floating around and no ability to put everything together into like a full picture to all of a sudden these things integrating and just really seeing, oh my gosh, like all of this is connected. I'm a whole human being. When I do this, it affects this. And I think that was really just like the light bulb moment for me. And then what really catapulted me into wanting to like learn the blood work and the lab analysis and like all these other certifications to help other people with chronic and complex health challenges put their own puzzle together, like with my guidance and with me as a partner. You must have a pretty big why, my friend. Yeah, it was a it was a very big why. I just knew that it was not normal for a 20-something to feel that way, right? To feel awful all the time and to feel hungover all the time despite not drinking and to like, yeah, just have those types of irregularities at such a young age. And then thinking back, even as a child, I don't remember ever feeling very well. Mm -hmm. And that was something that I was unwilling to live with. So it was a big why, but also like big motivation, right? Like when you can't remember ever feeling well, that's not okay. And that's not the way I could see living the rest of my life. Absolutely. Where do you think that that feeling of not giving up or that resilience or that little voice comes from? That that thing that keeps you going, even through the shit. Where do you think that comes from? Yeah, that's a really great question. I think a lot of it had to do with just um, early adversity probably faced during childhood. So um, I don't know if you remember this, but I actually grew up in Hawaii. So I had a very unusual upbringing for a uh, white female in America um, in that I was the minority as a child, right? Like I was the only white kid in my class, like several years in elementary school. And um yeah, there were just there was a lot of racial tension growing up in Hawaii, especially on Kauai, which is the smallest of the main islands. And the public schools are notoriously bad there. Um, there's a lot of poverty. There's a lot of drug use. Um, there's a lot of kids who just aren't properly par parented because of the economical and social situation there. And so I think it like I learned from a very young age, right, that I kind of had to fend for myself and learn to be independent and learn to stick up for myself. And I think that did funnel into a lot of other areas of life, right? Where I was like, I'm unwilling <laughs> to accept things that feel challenging as just like, this is the way it is. Mm -hmm. It forced me to question a lot of things. And I think to look at the bigger picture. And in that sense, like, I'm very grateful that I had those challenges early on because it made me think critically about the world and become a problem solver and learn how to face challenges instead of run away from them. And that served me very, very well when I got into the situation, like a little bit later on in life of realizing that I had some chronic and complex health challenges. Well, it sounds like you have very much a growth mindset. And I love that. A huge part of my messaging through, through wanting to do this is not only introducing more people to personal development, because unless you stumble upon it, they don't teach you this stuff in school, right? Absolutely. Not. Most people are like, what's personal development? Or they're like, ah, oh, that's hogwash, right? But it has been the single most an imperative thing that has come into my life that has significantly helped propel me forward, change my mindset, and help me address challenges head on instead of what you just said, run away from them, which I feel like most people do. Yeah. Most, most people don't embrace the challenge or expect the challenge. When they see the challenge pop up, they shy away from it. And Absolutely. 
I just think that that's such a phenomenal outlook and such mm -hmm. a brilliant foundation to build for yourself and to lead your life in that way. So I commend you there, my friend. I appreciate that. And, you know, I, I really love that, like reiteration at a point, like facing challenges versus running away from them. And I think it, it sort of paints the picture of who we are as a society, right? Like we become so reactionary versus like proactive. And that applies to every area, right? Of course, like I immediately think of our healthcare system because like that's the arena that I work in. And it's never about let's maybe anticipate the problem or prevent the problem. Or again, like take a look at the root cause versus just band-aiding the symptom. So it's all very reactionary. And then like that relates to personal development as well, right? Like instead of okay, well, there's already an obstacle and I'm going to have to figure out like how to like overcome this challenge. Of course, there are always going to be those challenges, right? But like, how do I grow as a person? How do I have that growth mindset? Like, how can I develop into the type of person who can like maybe anticipate some of these things and have the tools to actually apply when I do encounter these challenges versus just like the reactionary mindset? I love that. I love that. In a moment, you're going to share with us your foundational five to better health. These are just five areas to really focus on if you want to feel better overall. But before we dive into that, let me ask you a question as it relates to your own personal growth and journey. Sure. What to you do you feel is the most impactful personal development methodology or lesson that you've really latched onto? that you have implemented more often and has really helped propel you forward as a human being? Do you have just one that stands out? Oh gosh, that's a tough question. I'm like, how do I narrow this down? I think a big thing that I have learned being somebody who was always 10 steps ahead of myself and also like, you know, breaking into more of the entrepreneurial space is just being very intentional with my words and my actions and my next steps. And that is really, I think the biggest takeaway, regardless of, you know, who the speaker or the author of the podcast, like anything that you can, you know, grasp from the personal development world. I think that's the underlying message, right? Is to like, take all of the different pieces into account, think critically, and then move from there. Implement. Yeah, implement. I love it. I love it. Thank you so much. All right. So earlier I heard you talk about how passionate you are about educating people to get out of diet culture. Ah, uh, yes. So tell us how you feel about that and why you feel that way. Yeah. So I think a lot of that came from personal experience as well, you know, just being inundated like as a child of like the eighties and nineties. Right. And not to say that children today aren't inundated with these same things. Like social media has opened up a whole different can of worms with like the filters and the ability to like angle things and like just creating this like impossible archetype and this impossible body standard that like women and especially young women and girls are constantly seeking. So I found myself from probably the age of, I would say, 13 on in diet culture. So constantly trying to like achieve this impossible body standard. And there were plenty of times where I did achieve that standard. Like I could reach that size too, and I could achieve that weight, but in very unhealthy means. And the expectation being, hey, I'm going to do this for 21 days, or I'm going to do this for 30 days, this reset or this diet, right? Like there's a whole bunch of psychology behind that, that I won't get into, 
but it's just this mindset that keeps us trapped in that diet culture of like, as soon as I do this thing or in the next 21 to 30 days, it's going to solve all of my problems. And then I'm going to revert back to doing exactly what I was doing before. And then I'm going to feel disappointed in myself when that weight comes back. So it's this industry and this culture that has set unattainable standards for women, given them none of the tools to maintain any of their progress, screwed up their hormones, screwed up their metabolism, and then left them feeling like they were at fault. Mm. So I realized extremely early on when I got out of nutrition school and people were like, I want to lose weight. I want to give you like, I want you to build me a meal plan. I want you to teach me how to be in a calorie deficit. I was like, yes, and <laughs> there's so much more to that. Right. And like women, I think especially are very much, um, unfortunately gaslit by medical professionals, by their doctors, and they're told to eat less and exercise more when can that work? Absolutely. Do calorie deficits work? Absolutely. But there's a bigger picture there in the sense that it's not just how many calories are you eating, but what are you doing with those calories? Is your body in a state of storing versus burning? Do you have a hormonal imbalance? Do you have high insulin? Do you have a thyroid problem? Do you have a high cortisol issue? Like there are a lot of signals in the body that can tell tell it to burn versus store fat. And if you're trapped in that model where you're getting your wires crossed and your body is receiving the wrong signals, I see women killing themselves, like over-exercising, barely eating enough to maintain like basic function. They feel terrible. They can't lose weight. And in some cases they're even gaining, even though they're in what we would generally view as a quote unquote calorie deficit. So mm -hmm. there's just, again, like you have to look at the whole person you have to look at bioindividuality. You have to look at all these different pieces of the puzzle. And I view weight loss as a byproduct of the body coming back into balance. So it is never the first step or the first goal. It's a byproduct and a nice addition to the other decreases in symptoms and the other benefits that someone would achieve through taking these steps towards better health. This is beautiful because this is not the message we receive through mainstream media. And so I love that this is just giving everyone a different perspective and maybe even in, even opening their eyes a bit more to, are we focusing on the wrong things? Absolutely. I love that wording because I, I would agree with that. I think we are focusing on the wrong things and somehow we are blaming people and like making it their individual responsibility without giving them the education or the tools that they actually need to like fix the problem. And I think that's just a, a massive disservice. Absolutely. You mentioned to me earlier, something called an, what you called an active couch potato and it made me smile. And I asked you, well, what is that? So what, what, what is an active couch potato? Yeah. <laughs> so I can't take credit for this term. I actually do not remember where I first heard it, but I certainly did not coin it, <laughs> but I think it's a great, it's a great descriptor for um, many people in the American culture and like our lifestyle is like, even if you're going to the gym for like half an hour and an hour every day and hitting those standard goals of 30 to 60 minutes of movement daily, we do that, but then we sit in our car to go sit at our desk, to go sit at the lunch table, back to sitting at our desk, back to sitting at our car where we get home and then we sit on the couch in front of the TV or we sit at the table. So in my mind, like 30 to 60 minutes a day is not enough. So like, yes, it's wonderful. If you've developed that routine, you're going to the gym on a daily basis. You found a way that's sustainable for you to move your body. And 
there has to be a focus on overall mobility and other ways to integrate movement. So you're not sitting for like, you know, 18 or however many hours, 16 hours a day, every day, 365 days a year for the rest of your life, like 30, 60 minutes, simply not enough. So that's where we kind of look at, like, can you get a standing desk? Can you stretch in between calls? Can you sit on like one of the exercise balls versus a chair to activate your core? Like, can you take a 10 minute walk over lunch and then a 10 minute walk after you get off work before you hop back in your car and sit on the commute? So like, it's just looking at health again as like the bigger picture instead of hyper-focusing on like, okay, I checked that box. Like now I'm good for the day. Yeah. I love that. Like way to integrate getting outside into your daily routine as well. I don't mm -hmm. know any stats right off the top of my head, but I have read countless articles where it says that getting outside helps you in numerous ways. It helps you think better, just feel more connected with yourself. And I'm sure you know way more than I do about the benefits of actually being outside and in nature. But I love the fact that there's more emphasis with what you said about, can you take a 15 minute walk? Yeah. Right? I love that. Yeah, absolutely. Human beings were not meant to be enclosed by four walls. Like again, all day, all week, 365 days a year. Like we're like basically like uh, more active houseplants, right? Like we need oxygen, right. water, we need sunlight. <laughs> like we need all of these things. And in order for you to truly thrive, like again, those are some of the basics that oftentimes get, get missed, especially when you're working with somebody who's tired or their mood is low, or they're struggling with depression, like get outside, get into the fresh air, learn how to breathe properly, move your body. Like there's just so many like free and essential tools out there before you start looking into like the supplementation and like the strict dietary changes and the medication, not that any of those things don't have their place, but oftentimes we miss like those little first steps. Absolutely. I love that. All right. Well, let's get into Miranda Mayer's foundational five to better health. The first one you had said was hydration. I know I need to be better about this. I personally cannot stand the taste of water. And so I feel like I have to force myself to drink water because I know I need to, right? What can you share with us about better hydration? Well, you're certainly not alone. And it's very interesting. So a lot of people have aversions to the taste of plain water and, or when you're dehydrated for uh, a long enough time, you actually lose that thirst signal. So you don't get prompted to drink water, which just kind of funnels into the whole cycle of not drinking water, right? Mm. So the way I coach people in the beginning is I'm like, look, I know you're not thirsty, but we're going to have to find a way to overcome this hurdle and to do it in a way, again, that's sustainable for you. And you'll actually like repeat that habit until that thirst mechanism turns back on. And it's so interesting to see this happen with people. Like I get messages all the time where they're like, this is so weird. I'm thirsty. Like I'm actually getting that thirst signal again. I'm like, Hold yourself. Like your body knows what to do. It's just compromised. And like over time, it just starts to shut that down because you're not listening to it. But that is like you can kind of turn that back on. So, what I like to do with people again is to figure out okay, if you don't like plain water, will you drink like flavored herbal tea? Will you drink it if we infuse it with something? Will you drink it if we add some lemon in? Will you drink it if it's like a sparkling mineral water? Like anything that doesn't have added caffeine or sugar, that counts toward water intake. And then the other thing we look at is quality, like tap water. Like that's one of the first things I do with clients is I'm like, nope, no tap water. I don't care that we're not in Flint, Michigan, like Denver water system is better than some, but any mainstream like municipal water system is going to be compromised. And when you look at the studies on what fluoride and chlorine and all these other things that are added to our tap water does to the human body over time, it's not good. So making sure that people are drinking enough 
good, clean, quality water, like that's one of the first steps you have to take, right? Because if you're dehydrated, you're going to overeat. You're going to be hungry all the time. Your blood sugar is going to be off. Your hormones are going to be off. Your gut's not going to be healthy. You're going to be constipated. Like there's just so many different areas that that funnels into that like that has to be attended to before we start working on some of these other things. Wow, tap water. So let me ask you this. The filtered water that comes out of the fridge, I know that's connected to tap water. Is that okay? It completely depends. So unfortunately, there's also no standardization or regulation there. So like we have to actually look at, okay, what is your fridge filtering exactly? So like that involves contacting the company and just getting a list, which most most of them will provide of the contaminants that it actually removes, because some of them are very comprehensive, some of them are not. And then making sure where a lot of people go wrong is they don't change them regularly where they're like, oh, it's fine. I'll just give it a few more weeks. And like those things, it becomes like this disgusting little harbor for like bacteria and mold and all this other garbage. So I'm like, well, we also don't want you drinking moldy water. So make sure that you're changing that cartridge out regularly if you're choosing to use the one in the fridge. I usually have people just get the refillable jugs for reverse osmosis. Um, or there are a lot of systems that will do that in your home distillation, as long as you're, as you're adding some trace minerals back is also a very viable option because it does remove the most contaminants. Yeah, man, we all have had a friend or friends. I've had friends where you go to their house and they change filter light is lit up on their fridge. And then you go back there and it's still lit up. <laughs> I've even had people that just hold it down for three seconds to reset it, but they don't actually change the filter. Yep. A hundred percent. And again, it's just like education, right? Like a lot of people, it's not a, it doesn't seem like a priority, right? Like how bad can it be? Well, you're putting a lot of that in your body every single day. I think it's pretty important. Wow. All right. Number two, you said eat real food. <laughs> That's a big one. So there's a lot of what I like to call food-like product on the market these days. So things that look like food, kind of smell like food, sort of taste like food, but aren't really food. Like the majority of the ingredients were manufactured in a lab mm -hmm. and the human body just ultimately doesn't know what to do with those things. So that's one of the, the again, the first changes we have to look at, right? Because you're not going to out-exercise a bad diet and quality of food is just as much, just as important as quantity. So your body's going to utilize the calories from an apple very differently from an Oreo. So I start to teach people about like emphasizing single ingredient whole foods, the importance of buying organic, at least for certain items, right? Because we're just starting to see, unfortunately, in the public sphere, the ramifications of things like glyphosate, which is Roundup and all these other chemicals that we've been spraying on our foods since, you know, the 1960s approximately. And again, there have been no studies done about how do all of these things in combination act in the human body, right? Like maybe one of them once in a while is okay, but we get what's known as bioaccumulation of all of these different things from our food supply and our environment within the human body, just kind of compounding on top of each other. So looking at that quality piece is important and then learning how to just basically read a label. Like, hey, how many ingredients are in this? Like I look at that before I look at calories or sodium or fats, because if you can't pronounce that ingredient list, or if there are 30 some ingredients, the latter half of which sound like a chemical or have numbers attached to the words, like that is no longer food, period. Absolutely. Tell me, what would you say your top three or top five foods are that you are very passionate about people buying organic? Yeah, so the EWG is actually a great resource. Like this is something you could go look up or like anybody listening could go look up. The Environmental Working Group uh, does a fantastic job every year of updating this list. It's called the Dirty Dozen. And 
typically the top few that will fall on there are berries, peppers, um, leafy greens. So an easy way to think about this is thin skinned fruits and vegetables where you consume the whole food. Those things should be purchased organic because you cannot wash, soak, peel that pesticide off. It's permeated the membrane. It's inside the entirety of the food. Well, it's kind of scary. It is kind of scary. Yeah. Unfortunately, we've uh, done a lot of damage, which we're now just starting to see the effects of. Number three, you said move your body. I know we just talked about this a little bit, but what are you mostly most passionate about sharing with folks there? Consistency. Like we were kind of talking about this earlier, right? Like with entre, like being an entrepreneur, how important it is to stay consistent and the reason why most people fail. It's the same with any other area, right? It's the same thing with an exercise routine or a nutrition plan or a diet or whatever we're talking about here. Like the development of a habit takes time and it's much easier to fall out of a routine than it is to build one. So I think it's important to focus on like, what can you stay consistent with? Most people are again, like on step 10 before they've done step two, right? And they're like, I'm gonna go from not working out at all to like doing P90X. Like, okay, <laughs> number one, you're likely going to injure yourself, right? right? And number two, like, is that sustainable? Like what happens when you complete this 30 day or 60 day or 90 day program, then what? Like we have to look at it as a journey, right? Not a destination, because this is something that has to be lifelong. So we have to figure out like, what is your experience? Do you have any limitations? What sustainability look like? And what can you be consistent with? Like, that's the most important thing. And that can look a little bit different for everyone. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. You have to find something you can be consistent with that you enjoy that's sustainable. Do you have something that you recommend to someone that's just now starting on the getting back to fitness journey? That's a great question. Walking is hugely underrated. And again, like it gets you outside in the sunshine with the oxygen and like all of these other benefits. And it mo you're moving your whole body, right? Like you're getting your muscles going, you're getting a little bit of like um, the benefits of strength training because you're carrying your full body weight around. And then um, you've got like some lymphatic benefits there. When you move your whole body, you help to pump your lymph system, which helps with detox. So like, I usually honestly just have people start with walking. We can add in a little bit of, you know, gentle stretching, gentle yoga, gentle strength training, but really like walking is a great place for people to start. And like almost anyone can walk Absolutely. few exceptions injuries and things like that fantastic number four this is a huge one and one that I'm very passionate about sleep yeah definitely so sleep is hugely undervalued and that is such a foundational thing when we're talking about just better health and especially like sustainable weight loss versus like our expectation of fast weight loss then we go back to doing the same things right so if you're not getting enough sleep you're going to elevate hormones like cortisol, which is a stress hormone and a fat storage hormone. We're going to cause more inflammation. We're going to damage insulin receptors. Like basically it just initiates this inflammatory and like hormonal disruptive cascade that throws you off from head to toe. So like there is no substitute for good sleep. So sleep hygiene is something that I'm super passionate about. And that's something I always talk about with clients in the beginning you know, what's your bedtime routine? Are you winding down? Are you on your cell phone, like laying in bed, scrolling at night, activating parts of your brain that are not involved in sleep, they're involved in wakefulness. And then are you getting to bed like around 10 PM whenever possible? Are you sleeping those optimal hours from 10 to two? Do you wake up during the night? Like you were saying earlier, like so many of us have the habit of like immediately jumping onto our cell phone, right? First thing in the morning and not letting your brain actually like acclimate to the state of being awake. 
So there's a lot of little things that you can look at that like improve sleep quality and hygiene and just emphasizing like, Hey, you need to get eight hours. Like the studies that say six to seven, I don't personally agree with. And again, like more optimal for men than women, which is a whole separate topic, but yeah, sleep is a biggie. I agree. I just recently went through high performance certification coaching and one of the topics that they really hammered home was that Americans are not getting enough sleep. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny, you hear people all say all the time, oh, I, I get four to six hours, I'm fine. But there are scientific studies that have been done that prove that getting eight hours of sleep, if not more, increases your productivity by 30%. Just yeah. that extra one or two hours. It's, that was, you know, something that really blew my mind away because we don't actually think about how important our sleep is and how much of that is tied to our productivity as a human being. Yeah, totally agree. And, you know, that affects everything, right? Where, you know, people, again, it's looking at the bigger picture. So like, yes, maybe you're sacrificing one to two waking hours in your day, like getting more sleep. But then again, how many hours are you spending on menial tasks or work tasks or uh, other things throughout your day when you can't focus? Like when you don't have the brain power to efficiently get something done, like, just like you said, it enhances productivity meaning you will get things done faster and more efficiently throughout your day, which completely makes up for that extra hour or two that you're spending in the sleeping state. Plus, you're going to feel better. Your mood's going to be better. You're going to be more patient with your kids and your you know, husband or wife or partner or whoever is in your life. And to me, like, that's just, you know, there's nothing that can replace that, right? It's quality of life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Number five, we talked about stress. Everybody has stress. We live in such a busy world and half the time, none of us feel productive yet. You know, we always say there's not enough time in the day. We also talked about breath work and how that correlates with stress as well. So what do you, what can you share with us there? Yeah, I mean, definitely number five would be address the stress. This is something that I see so often working with people with chronic health challenges and like autoimmunity and hormonal imbalances and thyroid issues is like a lot of these like women especially have tried everything under the sun right they've done every diet every nutritional protocol they've taken every supplement and like maybe they've looked at like the sleep and the hydration and the movement and all these other pillars but they have you know past trauma that has not been addressed or they're constantly operating in a state of fight or flight and a really easy way to look at this is if you're in fight or flight, you are not in rest and digest. So mm -hmm. for people with challenges around digestion or feeling tired all the time because they're not extracting proper nutrients that they need to make energy from food, this is a really foundational thing, right? Like I cannot like out supplement or out nutrition <laughs> somebody who's in a chronic state of fight or flight because it literally shuts down every other necessary function and process in the body. So that's just a really, that's, that's part of the first conversation that I have with clients is, Hey, like, what is your stress level? Why did you rank it that way? What are you doing about the stress? Do you feel like you have sufficient tools and when needed, like I'm a massive, I'm a huge fan, huge proponent of therapy. I love that that's becoming more socially accepted. It's been massively needed for, you know, the last several years or decades when there was a lot of I think social stigmas around like being in therapy or having a therapist or working with a counselor, like, and in my opinion, like everybody should have a therapist, like everybody should have, you know, an energy worker, like, you know, whatever floats your boat, but you need to have somebody that's going to help you, especially in beginning stages, learn how to deal with stress, learn how to process stored emotions, like how to properly emote. 
how to deal with trauma, how to regulate your nervous system. And again, there's nothing else that's going to fix that if you don't address the stress. Absolutely. Absolutely. Therapy has been immensely helpful to me. Um, and I do, I do agree that I think everyone should be in therapy. We, we all need it. <laughs> <laughs> I would totally agree. I have a therapist. I've done a lot of, you know, work with um, energy healers and um, chiropractic to help to rebalance my nervous system. So like, again, there's a lot of different ways to help to rebalance some of those areas. You just have to find what works for you. And again, like consistency, right? Consistency. There's that word again. I know. Seems to come up a lot, doesn't it? I love it. I love it. Miranda, you have been lovely. Thank you so much. Tell me if anyone, you know, is looking for help in the area of nutrition, where, where can they find you? How can they work with you? Yeah. So um, they can visit my website. It's realfunctionalhealing.com. That's also my handle on Instagram or Facebook. So people can, of course, um, reach out or private message me through um, those platforms. And I actually have um, the ability to book a call directly from the website. And I offer free 30-minute discovery calls because one of my goals with people is to really make sure that they are ready and willing to do some of the work that it's going to take to get them well and to make sure that I'm the proper practitioner for them, that it's not something that's going to require uh, a different specialty or a referral out. So that's really the goal is to spend those 30 minutes saying, hey, like, what are your pain points? What are the symptoms? Um, is this something that I can work with? Do I need to give you a referral? If so, like I will try to plug you into the proper place. And if it's the right fit, then we can kind of initiate um, the next steps in working together. Love that. Tell me what's one last sentiment that you would leave people with as it relates to resilience and your own personal health? I would say probably just stop with the blaming and shaming. Like so many people just, they blame themselves, right? And they get stuck in the shame cycle. And for most people, like it's not your fault. You know, there are things that happen, you know, to us doesn't mean there aren't things that we can do about them and steps that we can take to move forward. But I think we really just need to get out of that cycle and like realize that it's okay to accept help and it's okay to talk about these things, right? And it's okay for these things to be like part of the normal conversation. And that's, you know, I think going to be a very imperative step forward in order for us to heal like on a more like cultural and like nationwide and global level. Love it. You've been great. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. If we could see into each other's hearts and understand the unique challenges each of us face, I know we would treat one another much more gently, with more love, patience, tolerance, and care. In order to love who we are, we cannot hate the things that have shaped us. The best project you will ever work on is you. If we leave our growth to randomness, we will always live in the land of mediocrity. Here we embrace kindness, mindfulness, joy, empathy, vulnerability, adventure, and most importantly, the humanness that we each share. This is Chantal Russo, and you are listening to The Resilience Diaries.